Hey, what's up, Daily Show Ears Edition listeners? It's Roy Wood Jr. coming to you while The Daily Show is on break. You're about to hear an episode of my podcast, Roy's Job Fair. Now, it's a podcast. All we do is talk about employment and explore the human condition through that lens. The episode you're about to hear is all about the world of basketball. Candace Parker, who gets paid to play it. ESPN Scoop Jackson, who gets paid to cover it. And a mother who is raising a basketball prodigy. If you like it, don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. And be sure to tell a friend. It's available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Start my podcast. You're listening to Comedy Central. Now hiring. JG, did you know that there is a shortage of mall Santas this no, year? Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. And even more short, black mall Santas. Mm. Shout out to Donna Oglesby, a listener of the fine radio acoustical presentation. Uh, Send us this to let us know. Ralph. Have you ever thought about being a mall Santa? Has that ever been your cup of tea? No. Lying uh, to strangers' children? No. I I barely like going into the mall during Christmas because I find during Christmas is when people at their at, at their highest level of asshole. No, people are super nice to me. Well then, JG, then damn it, you be a black Santa. Right, oh, no, 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 no. you always talking about color. Co- you always talking about glass ceilings and uh, come on, why they can't you be no black really women happy? Santa? Because right? I have to take my great niece to see a black Santa, so I'm already preparing myself for when she doesn't want to sit on his lap. He's gonna ask me to sit on his lap. I already know how this is going. You gonna sit? Yeah, I'm right? gonna sit because I gotta put my niece in my lap so we can get the picture, and then oh, I gotta okay. get out of his lap real oh, fast. That, oh, oh, yeah, I bet. I bet that's why you sit. Yeah, <laughs> you sit down in Santa's lap talking about some did you send me flowers this year, Santa? I, twerking. It, no, Jack will be sitting in Santa's lap twerking. Is that, you ain't got the lie. We family. <laughs> My name is Roy. <laughs> this is my job there. You are so wrong. Well, Christmas time here. Uh, Jacqueline's all happy. Me and Ralph are kind of. You can tell when people ain't got kids. Bruh, bruh, I'm trying to tell you. They they changed changed it all. I used to love Christmas. I still love Christmas. I ain't going to front. But now now, now you got cheerings and and you got to do things for other people that are relatives for Christmas that you can't do for yourself. Christmas is what you make it. And also, I don't buy gifts, just so we're all aware. I'm just in that spirit of being nice and having hot cocoa and there's chili on the stove. And, oh. Wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on, wait a minute. Okay, you don't make it. Do, do you make the gifts? No. So I show you're up. Just, you're just happy for the season, but you don't really give a gift or make a gift. Oh my God, you're the worst. <laughs> You're the happy aunt that don't bring shit. Absolutely right. nothing but this smile. And I'm like, hi, babies. 
they also, all three of my nephews, they split whatever is left over once my demise happens. So they got a plan. Wait, so, so inheritance is not a Christmas gift. You can't <laughs> substitute that. I'm not buying them anything. They know that. What the f- they don't stop. The, what are you talking about? All this jolly Hallmark movie ass spirit you got. I love it. And you don't do the one thing that's the most the most important part of Christmas is the gift. Nope. Not you gotta give them something. Anything. I give them me. I'm there. I'm happy. I'm smiling at them. I love oh, them. Oh my lord. You give them you? I'm, that's it. I'm not buying them anything and they know that. The one thing we do do on this show though is every now and then we have a theme. Mm-hmm. Mm. And we've been, you know, this is a good little streak here. We had a couple of Jesus weeks. We had an international run there. And now we get to talk about basketball. My favorite sport. Basketball. Basketball, basketball is my favorite sport. Third, did you play basketball organized growing up? <laughs> I tried. I know uh, you get up every day at 530 in the morning. Please, please explain this shit to me and JG. Because... <laughs> Periodically on this podcast, just in passing, you'll go, yeah, I got up at 530 to play basketball. Anyway, let's keep talking about and, and we never have time to settle in and ask you, why the fuck as a grown man? Oh my God. Why? I'm just as a as a fellow brother in his 40s. Mm. Why is the tip time 530 in the morning? Because uh, the gym opens at five. And they figured that everybody's going to be late. So 5.15 would be too early. So we started at 5.30. There's a level of dedication that I have to respect with that. Because I don't, is it the sport of basketball or is it the camaraderie? Well, up here, up here uh, where I'm at now, it's definitely the sport. Uh, because I felt like I was sitting around becoming a bit of a fat ass. And, uh, and, and that literally was what it boiled down to. I needed to play ball. That's what it began as. What ends up happening, though, is the more you go to end up playing with a bunch of dudes you don't know is y'all end up at least knowing each other's names. And for the most part, that's enough. We don't discuss each other's work. Uh, we know that one or two of the people had a kid. But for the most part, when the game starts. <laughs> Did you have a kid? That was six yeah. years ago. All right. Well, oh, congratulations. All right, word, word, word. Pass the ball, fool. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like that. And uh, so far up here, the only reason that I'm playing so early is because that's the, the group of guys that I ended up falling in with. Back in D.C., I played in what's called a legacy game. Like they did stories on the guys in the post and everything where you uh, you pay in to take care of the rent uh, for, of the gym and you meet up every Wednesday night and you play. And I played with those dudes for almost like 15, 20 years. I never enjoyed playing pickup basketball. I figured out real early on that I do not have the personality for basketball. Basketball, the way you play basketball, I think, is extremely reflective of your approach to life in a lot of ways, if you're taking problems head on, you're challenging That's people, fair. or if you're a facilitator and you pass the ball to a lot of people, I am out on the wings, passing, doing the dirty work. I'm trying to rebound. I'm trying to box out so somebody else can be great. Like, mm. but it just, I don't know. It was, it was just too competitive. Motherfuckers in your face, the whole game sweating on you and shit. I, <laughs> I, before I ever drank, before I ever smoked, my first high and the first thing to calm me down was basketball. And when I played on my first organized team, my father was my coach. Shout out Ralph Jr. I know you're going to hear this, your evil self. 
the first time, listen, this is why he was evil, but he was a genius. He's a genius. My dad is a genius. That's like a recipe for disaster, coaching yeah, your son. It's either so, great or terrible. There's no in between. So the first team we played on, we was in Fort Gordon. And uh, the first time I scored a basket in a game, I celebrated like I was playing NFL football. I spiked the ball, which gave the other team a point, and they scored, but I was still dancing, and they came back, scored another point, and so my father benched me. That team so went on. Didn't... That team went on to win the championship for that season, and I never played again. And my dad said... Your team. <laughs> yeah, my team. Okay. And I, and my dad said, I said, well, Dad, well, why, why didn't I get back in? He was like, because this wasn't for you. He was like, if you wouldn't have celebrated, <laughs> you know, and so, like, for years... <laughs> For years, I played basketball to try and prove to my dad that basketball was indeed for me. And it wasn't until I got old enough to kind of realize all of the politics and all the stuff that was going on. I was like, damn, this man was a genius. I should have quit this shit like three years ago. But, you know, it, it, I, I literally tried to play basketball for years just to prove to my pops that I could play. And let's just be real. I was in Virginia when you had Allen Iverson, Grant Hill. Both of my cousins played down the street and they were all world. So I, you know, I, I wanted to play, but eventually I learned uh, that I was very, very good at speech. Uh, Cause that's the, <laughs> I, I, I was, I won a state title in speech and that's what made me quit playing basketball. I was like, this, this, I'm, at least I'm winning in this shit. Like I can't make the team, but I still, to this day, I love hoop just about more than anything else. JG, did you ever play the round ball sport? from the Honorable Dr. Naismith. <laughs> I kept book for our high school team for a season. Best you was the manager? Yeah. All right. Have you not realized right. I tell men what to do all that. the time? <laughs> <Of course. laughs> I, I never, I played at the YMCA and then I played at the boys club like fourth and fifth grade. And mm. then middle school, I think I tried out and didn't make the team. Mm. And then after that, I was like, yeah, I'm done. When I moved to LA, there was a pickup <laughs> game amongst comedians. And this just confirmed my feelings about basketball. Like, is it like the different personalities on the court, which is why I understand Ralph's buy-in game. I will mm. pay money to play this game with the same other nine motherfuckers. Mm -hmm. I will pay money because they know me, we know each other, and we will all behave. That's when right. you are playing pickup with strangers and it's comedians, it's there's a level of ego. But the, the game, they used to have a flag football game too, but it was, oh, this is a way for the black comedy community to mingle and chill on a Sunday a and talk the business. Idea. But the <laughs> competitiveness, by the second quarter, <laughs> niggas is ready to fight. Your no. jokes ain't funny. Nah, that's why you don't sell no, no tickets. Bitch, Word, I that's sold why you don't tickets. Get that's why you don't I'm, get booked, nigga. You can't hit no free throws. That's why you ain't getting yes, booked, nigga. Dribbling yes. off your foot like that. To me, honestly, pick up, pick up basketball ain't shit, but athletic karaoke. You got... <laughs> it's somebody who's doing it for fun, and then there's somebody mm. who think they gonna get a whole ass 10-day contract like the motherfucker from the Hornets is just at this gym today. I moved out to L.A., and uh, I learned very quickly about Los Angeles being a place where just ballers are at. And uh, I used to, well, like I said, I got a lot of friends that went to Duke. So I used to wear a little Duke shooting shirt that one of my friends had given me. You know, it was my little luck thing when I went to the court. Mind you, I've never played varsity ball. This is important to say. Like, I play a lot of basketball, but I never 
got the big letter. I always got the little letter because I, I did speech. But point is, <laughs> <laughs> this one night I'm out in L.A. and uh, we were playing pickup ball at this gym and I had on my little shooting shirt and I went to take off my shirt and I had maybe three or four of the worst games I've ever played in my entire damn life. And didn't know that at the, at the same time in the gym, there was a guy, former Duke player by the name of Corey Maggetti, who was in the gym. Ooh, Clippers fame. Yes, sir. So I'm sitting down. I'm already mad at myself. I'm sweating, drenched in sweat. Got my little shirt in my hand. I'm about to put on my clothes and go home. Corey walked up to me and said, hey, man, did you go to Duke? I was like, well, nah, man. He grabbed my shirt. He said, never, ever wear this again. And then dropped it at my feet and walked out. Wow. <laughs> Straight like, shit on you and yeah, hey, man, yeah, you're I'm terrible. Gonna, Don't represent gonna, our I'm, university like that. I'm going to do radio for the rest of my life is how I felt at that point. And um, the last piece, and I'll shut up, Brett. I, uh, I messed around in L.A. and ended up playing in the Drew League. But I don't want to make it sound like I was playing because I was not playing. The Drew League, Jacqueline, is where pro and semi-pro players who play international basketball all over the world. You do know I've dated basketball players. Oh, <laughs> shit. You buried oh, the lead. Oh, we'll get wait, to wait that in a second. Screw my, yeah, we got to. Yeah. All right. So my story is simple. No, I play in the Drew no, League. Explain, Everybody explain Drew for the people who don't know. I'm... So, the, so the Drew League. Good Lord. Jacqueline just put me down. Uh, the Drew League is a semi-pro basketball league where dudes who play in the league play in the Drew. It's uh, the West Coast equivalent to like a streetball league, like the Rucker and stuff like that. Um, I happened to have a dude that I was playing pickup with who was very good, and he invited me to come play on his team. I didn't know that this team was the effing Drew. And so the first practice, these dudes is going around talking about where they played, and they were like, oh, yeah, well, I played at this Big Ten school, and now I play in Argentina. So I, was like, well, I played in the Pac-10, now I'm playing in Japan. And they came up to me, and they were like, you? And I was like, yeah, I never played varsity basketball. And I'm a radio producer in uh, Studio City. There we go. Um, basketball, man. Basketball. Everywhere I've ever lived, I play ball, man. And uh, it's got a good way of being super universal. It puts you in places that uh, you don't expect to be in and shit. Yeah. I mean, basketball, pick up basketball is hood golf. Oh. Where yes. you can make connections, yes. you can meet people and make yes. deals. It's just not as conversational because it's more mm -hmm. aerobic than golf. I but... like the sidelines and watching who's dating like Adele and Rich Paul. I just think that's so sweet and cute. Neither one of them play basketball, Jacqueline. I don't care about that. Let's move on now to Cody's most outstanding employee of the week. Mm -hmm. Shawnee O'Neal. That's Shaquille O'Neal's ex-wife, isn't that right? They got married in 2002. I think Shaq had just come to LA on the $100 million deal or the 200 mil deal. Uh, got divorced um, mm -hmm. in 2009. Was there a prenup? There was absolutely no prenup. No prenup on that first marriage. Nope. But he was paying her alimony. Part of the terms of this alimony was for 10 years. The day you get married again, you don't get no more of my motherfucking money, motherfucker. You only get the child support bread. Mm -hmm. Well, third, I'm happy to announce that exactly 10 years after the agreement was filed. <laughs> Shawnee O'Neal is engaged to be married. Of course she is. Of course she is. Yes. Of course she Fight is. The, power. the fact that she waited and waited and mm. waited and dated 
and produce shows and build her own nest egg. And then when she didn't even need the money, third, the basketball wives spinoffs and all of that shit, you know, many different ways she's getting paid. Paid, Mm -hmm. getting paid. Where are you going? Because they say being a wife is a job, right? Mm. Okay. So then alimony ain't shit but severance. It is a job. (laughs) It is definitely a job. For so it's being a husband, making though. sure that your employer gave you, well, I probably shouldn't say that because black women and you, you don't work for the black man. I contribute. I help build the time. For making sure that your co-founder of your family. Fifth. I'm fifth off the grip. I just, wait a minute. Hold up. Before you finish announcing this, because my, my, my wife and my mother-in-law are listening, I need y'all to make sure I said fifth. Fifth, God damn it. Fifth. Fifth. One, two, three, four, five. For making sure that your family's co-founder Fifth. properly gave you every single penny that was due to you before finding another new co-founder mm-hmm. for that. Mm. Shawnee O'Neal, <laughs> you are Cody's most outstanding employee of the week. Fifth. I will tell you that whoever she's <laughs> marrying will not be a co-founder because she has learned a valuable lesson the hard way. Proper prenup. Well, you know, this is easy to kind of talk about from the perspective that we're looking at. Does the same thing happen when the perspective flips? Oh, absolutely. Like what happens when she makes tons of money and then he does not make a lot of money and then they get a divorce? Do we feel as remorseful for the guy in that situation as we do for the woman in the exact same situation. No, I support, I support rich women paying broke men alimony. I love it. Just so we can, for the record, uh, I'm not signing anything. Let's just go ahead and get that clear. Uh, I'm glad I'm not proposing to Jacqueline. So many rules with Jacqueline. We don't have time Man. to get into all of them. <laughs> I feel like she got a pre-contract, bro. She got a whole pre-contract that she got laid out. <laughs> Before you date her. We ain't even yeah. talking about marrying her. We talking if about dating we're going to be in love, we're going to be in love. And that's what's going to happen. And I've been engaged 4.5 times. So I'm not signing nothing. You've been engaged. There's so many layers to you. I, every week I lose. The whole onion there. just opened. We don't it's have like time. It's too late. We're it's out just, of time. Just, what what is 4.5 times? We're out of time. What is 4.5? <laughs> That's like when somebody say, I got two and a half children. What the hell is that? <laughs> like, you just got a half disemboweled body just dooting around the fucking We're house. Done. What is four and a half? We, we, got a, we got a WNBA champion on Boy, she was dating basketball players. And she, I, I don't. Jacqueline has seen some shit. Bruh. I, we have so much to unpack on Rod's dating face. Bruh. I cannot I'm wait. just waiting for her to tell us that she was a Jet Beauty of the Week one. Then it all makes sense. All right, let's get into worst and first. Every blue moon, we get blessed. Blessed. We get blessed. This woman, black women, the black women. Mm, talk about it. Is joining us for Worst and First. We're talking basketball this entire episode, the ins and outs of that career. And if it's anyone who knows this world, it is our next guest, JG. Who do we have on the line? We have the amazing Candace Nicole Parker. Lovely smile, legend in her own right. There are so many things I could say, but let's not waste time and get right to her. World champion. Say it again, sir. Say it again, sir. World champion. WNBA champion Mm. of the world. 
and host of the Moments podcast as well, which is a very, very wonderfully grounded conversational podcast that peels back the layers of humanity and people. Candace Parker. I didn't know JG was going to drop your middle name on us. Thank you for having me. You you can't leave out the fact that she was also balling in Chicago, homie. Like, you know what I'm saying? She was dunking on cats in high school. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, it's one thing for a shorty to J you up, but it's a whole other thing for her to come and pipe one on you and to just look at you as you walk <laughs> off. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, like, yeah, in Illinois, too, like, you, you got the Chicago cats. So she was, I'm sorry, I'm a ball player, bro. I just, ah, just to watch her pump people. You know, just, ah. So yeah. before 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 Ralph has a seizure, like, please. When you're an athlete, please. you really can't. When you're an athlete of your caliber, you cannot work regularly. So what what was your relationship with employment early on? Like when you needed money to get the Jordans or to get the Junior Seau Air Missions or whatever. What did Candace Parker do for money? Do you even have a worse job? We, we should just go worst coach or first coach or something with you. Um, I feel like so I was I babysat. Like I was that hustler that babysat a lot. I love kids from the giga, like from 12, 11 years old on my street. I used to babysit all the kids. Um and then even when I got to college, I would watch, you know, I didn't really go out all that much. So I was a huge, like, I would watch the coaches' kids and, you know, I look up and I'd have all the dogs and kids at my house. <laughs> and I would be just fine on Friday night. That was my idea of a lot of fun, just watching movies and The Little Mermaid was a hit in my house for the little kids. And, uh, yeah, so I babysat a lot. I mean, I worked, um, you know, just summer jobs because during the school year, my parents were big believers in, like, me focusing on, you know, school and so your parents wouldn't let you work because they wanted you to focus on your Yes, I was fortunate enough to to live in an environment where um you know my my parents you know were passionate about that for me and my brothers. Obviously we all had jobs like in the summer remember cleaning the beach bathroom that was probably the worst. That was where I was like I really want to work really hard so that I don't have to clean the beach bathroom. As parents of talented athletes, which my mama didn't have that issue because, you know, I just baseball and me, basketball and me didn't. But you know, the problem with me in basketball third is that I, when we moved to Birmingham, I was in the third grade and my mom got me a basketball goal so I wouldn't go to Powderly Park and play where they always got to shoot. <laughs> but then all the OGs would come to our house to play. I'm in the third grade. It's 10th grade, may as well be grown men. These are 10th grade gangbangers over here to hoop. So I was so intimidated by the sport that it drove me to soccer and baseball and these more individual where ain't, ain't got to be no motherfucker around me. As I tell folks all the time, man, like I tried out for basketball three years in a row in high school. You know what I learned, bro? I'm very good at speech. I'm excellent at speech. That's that's what I am very good at. I'm it good at ain't. speech. If it ain't there by about the seventh grade, it's time to do it. I would say sure ninth grade. For sure ninth grade. Oh, you're, trying to, you're trying it out in seventh grade. Some kids will surprise you. You hit a growth spurt or something like that. But like for sure in ninth grade, I mean, obviously there are exceptions to every rule. Um, but yeah, ninth grade. I stayed away from basketball. I didn't really start playing serious basketball until probably eighth grade, I would say. 
like seventh grade is when I started like seriously playing. I played soccer and I played volleyball. And my first scholarship offer to Tennessee was for volleyball. It wasn't even basketball. Mm, mm, mm. What are some of the sacrifices that you believe your parents made in the early days to ensure that you stayed on that straight and narrow path? Because athletics requires a level of commitment that I think a lot of teenagers aren't always invested in. And it takes a little bit of a push from some mentor figure. Well, first, it's got to be in the kid. Like you can't bring something out of a kid that isn't in them. And, you know, that's similar trajectory. Like me and my oldest brother, we love basketball. So my dad coached us. My middle brother was like, I'm going to do basketball for fun. So I would say my advice is like, first, figure out if the kid wants it. Like if the kid wants it as much as they say, because you can't want it more than your kid. I can't be pulling Layla up out of bed to go to tournaments and she's she doesn't want to. Now you can have bad days. But I can't want this more than you. Say that shit again. Say it again. Say it again. I'm going to play this for my yeah, kids. Yeah, like I can't, I can't want this more than you. Like it just, it, it can't, that can't be the case. And I think some parents, especially from a young age, they want something more than their kids and it just doesn't work out. Um, but also it is important to challenge them. I was challenged constantly. We, you know, you can't expect excellence in this one area of life and not have those expectations in other areas like school, like how people like respect all that stuff. So I think it's just like setting goals and making sure you're reaching it, but they still got to be a kid, man. Like you can't, you can't take everything. Like I remember my mom made me go to prom. She made me go. I I was at a basketball tournament, like whatever. No, you're going to prom, you know? And so there's some things that you have to, as a parent step in and, and, you know, and make sure that your kid is still being a kid. Yeah, because you couldn't get that back. You couldn't ever get that prom back. So excellent move for your mom. And I'm curious, outside of basketball, outside of the podcast, what else is driving you? I always believe in being versatile. Like that is my number one piece of advice. I don't want to put all my eggs Um, into one basket. And I think for a very long time, it was just basketball. And then I had my daughter and I saw this whole new purpose. Like it sucks to lose still. And I hate it, but I come out of it more because of her. And so for me, what keeps me up at night is I want to continue that. I want to be versatile within business. I want to be versatile within television. Um, And, you know, obviously gender equality and racial, I mean, all of that uh, drives me. And I think it just, like my daughter looking at me some days, I, I mean, we have this saying, like sometimes she doesn't want to do her homework. She's like, mom, I did my homework for you today. Because I tell her all the time, like when I get up to go to work. Sometimes I'm like, I don't feel like it, but I did it for you today. Like I did it for you. And so I think that's what drives me is like continue to be that role model and hustling. Not when I have to get on a cardio machine or when I'm sweating, but like to hustle in business, like to hustle and, and grind and sometimes do the things you don't want to do. And so I think that's what keeps me up at night is am I being a great example of that to her? I felt this year that the ladies kind of led the way in a lot of respects. Like I felt as far as the, you know, whether it was getting more not collected or just standing up to a lot of the bullshit. Can you talk about what that part of the season was like? What is it about the WNBA community? It seems more together than the men when it comes to social justice. If we just being 100 and like, 
Well, first, um, our league is the majority of the minority in this country. And, you know, I say that in, we are 80% African-American women. So we are a league, all of women. Everybody's a woman in our league. Um, 80% Black, LGBTQ, socioeconomic background, um, religions. I mean, I, we are literally the majority of our league is the minority in this country. So I feel like we have that purpose. And I think anytime you have purpose behind anything, it's like driven. And I think we have cohesiveness. There's only 12 teams. During the bubble, it was literally like we were all in the bubble. We have shit else to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. so it was kind of like you would get your text and everybody respond. And if you didn't respond, it was like in the lunch line, like, hey, did you get the text about what we we're going to do tomorrow? You know? Did you get your shirt? What's your shirt? That's kind of how it came together. And then we've always, I mean, I know now people are recognizing the WBA, but the WBA has always been on the forefront of this stuff, whether it was accepted or not, to be honest with you, honestly, whether it was accepted or not, whether people, you know, whether the WBA in the front office were okay with it or not, you know, we got fine. There were, there were, Wore black turned out shirts and the league tried to find them and Carmelo stepped in and was like, no, nah, we're not we're not about to do this. Then it was like, oh, the fines are rescinded and like all stuff. So we're forgetting like that was a couple years ago. Well, the podcast is called Moments, where you talk about parenting and parenthood and what that means. And you explore that. You explore parenting, I would say, as beautifully and as eloquently as we try to explore employment. She is a WNBA champion. She mm-hmm. is a black women's. Women's. And we yes. will support the Chicago Sky to no end. Yes. Appreciate you. She is Candace Parker. Thank you so, so much for sharing Thank a little you. bit of time with us. We will leave you to your ferocious dogs. Oh my God. <laughs> Listen. Hey, listen, if uh, if anybody ever calls, like says, you know, Candace don't believe in diversity, you should look at my dog. I got a rot, I got a cavapoot, and I got a wiener dog. So believe in variety and diversity in this house. I'm just telling you. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We'll leave you back to the rest of your life. Have a wonderful, wonderful off season. We can't wait to see what's next. I appreciate y'all. Thank you. After the break, we will be joined by the wonderful, wonderful another black women's mm, back to back black women's mm. we're talking basketball on the job fair she is raising a child prodigy that has decided to not go the college route while still in high school how mm. good you got to be to go pro in high school and convince a, a black mama mm. that's my first question to her how did you as a black mama let this boy tell you, yeah, it, high school ain't all that, but I'm going to finish it for you, though. Right. I'm going to get this degree for you. I ain't promising you the next. That's all I'm saying. Man. I think he's guaranteed that she ain't getting the one. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you better go frame that middle school shit if you want he to might, on the wall. Look, he might take, a, he might take an associate's <laughs> degree program in the offseason and get get a get that two-year paper for him. Maybe. Yeah, high school <laughs> diploma plus welding. <laughs> welding. <laughs> Job fair. We'll be right back. Job fair. We back in here. 
Basketball is my favorite sport. I love the way they dribble up and down the court. And that's all of the song that I can sing for free without being <laughs> fined by the music industry. <laughs> <laughs> JG, just just uh, r- real quick, who, who, who do we have on the line? Let's just start there because I, I want to start chipping away at this. Uh, we have Kimberly Cummings, and she is an assistant principal, but she's also the mother of a prodigy. Mm. So, Madam Kimberly, first and foremost, welcome to the job fair. Thank you for coming aboard. Thank you for having me. You have a son, and you correct me if I'm wrong. Your son was originally playing high school amateur sports. He is really good. So rather than continue playing high school amateur sports, he now plays for the Overtime Elite League, which pays their athletes. And your son is doing that as he prepares for an eventual journey into the NBA. Did I get that right? You got it correct. When did, when did Jalen's gift start forcing you as a parent to go, okay, what is my schedule today as it relates to the boys' schedule? Because... You're not just you're not just taking him to the YMCA community rec league for him to dunk on people like Ralph. Respect, Ralph. Respect no problem. To you. No problem. I totally take that. When a child is playing competitively, there are more leagues. The games are further away because that's where all the competition lies, further and further away from the house. So if you could just talk to us a little bit about your sacrifices as a family. Well, Jalen started playing um, travel ball in the fourth grade. Um, the sacrifices were um, giving up my weekends. Um, as he got older, um, he started playing with more competitive teams. As you stated, we had to travel f- further and further away from home. Um, as many weekends, pretty much every weekend that he played, um, I was there. My mother was there. We sacrificed and we went to his games. Um, you have to consider the travel, the hotel costs. Um, and being a single mom, it, it was it, it was costly, but he has always aspired um, to become an NBA player. Um, for me, though, in order for him to do that, he had to keep his academics up because I'm academics first. And he has been a straight-A student since he's been in high school. I think leagues like this where a young man can, can play and actually earn some 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 money um, that's, that's gotta be a, that's gotta be a, a help. How does that all factor into the league, so to speak? Like how, how does, how does that work? If you can, mom, have you seen it work? Um, I know that, that he has a contract and everything that they've said that they were going to do for him, they've done. Many people were concerned that he would only get a GED, which is false. Um, Jalen in his senior year, he's 17. He only needed um, one credit to graduate from high school. Um, They are honoring that. He is taking high school courses to complete um, his high school diploma and graduate as he would in regular high school. Um, He just has the opportunity to be trained by some awesome people to get him ready for the next level. And that's going into the G League or going going to Europe and um, play overseas. Um, So it is it's, he loses some things, you know, the college experience and all, but he can still get he is going to get his degree. Um, he just won't be able to play on the college level. But going to the games thus far, 
at OTE. It is an awesome experience uh, for these young men. So it's very rewarding. And as you stated, they are getting paid for it. In the meanwhile, they're paying, playing against other young men who are not getting paid and they're doing the same thing. Now, how did the high school coach take it? Talk to me a little bit about the naysayers, or I don't want to say naysayers, but the people who were trying to present, well, you don't even know what that is, because this is new. This whole concept is very new. This is not even five years old, if I'm not mistaken. Like this, I, this concept of if you're good at something, figure out a way to start doing it as quickly as possible. Get your education and get the heck on. Now, while he was in OTE, mom, was he still going to class? Because you, you know what I'm thinking about third? I'm thinking about when Deion Sanders was at Florida State, but he got drafted by the New York Yankees and he mm-hmm. had a couple of dollars in his pocket on that college campus. Mm-hmm. I want to know, what was that like, mama? What was that like when he's like, he's in OTE, but now he's still got the last couple of credit hours in class or did he just leave school altogether and just opt to get the credits um, with, with tutors and everything? No, he, they are in school. There's their tutors only if they need them. They are being taught by teachers and they are they're still earning their credits. They accepted all of his credits from high school. So he still only has that one credit. Now, the question you asked about his high school coach, his high school coach was is the legendary or was Charlie Ward. And um, Ooh, he hated wow. to see him leave, Ooh. but his words were, they didn't have that opportunity when they were younger. They didn't have that opportunity. So it was a great opportunity uh, for Jalen. And of course, there were naysayers, just like you said. And that's because they did not know all the ins and outs of what is being provided by this organization. If he does not make it into the G League or decide not to go overseas, he is going to be provided up to $100,000 to attend college and and pursue his degree as he would have if he was playing in college. That is amazingly dope. That's just that an advanced scholarship. They just fronted you a scholarship. Now you can go wherever the hell you want to go. It's like taking exactly. a gap year. Yes, Jalen already has college credits because he was dual enrolled. They're going to continue that as soon as he finishes with this last credit that he needs. He'll start back in college again and he will have possibly close to his AA degree once he finishes. Okay, what's That's the age awesome. limit on enrolling in overtime elite? Let me Google real quick and see if they right. take a photo. I was about to pull my son in. He starts his league real soon. I Your just... son, I'm talking about myself, but you do. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Through this process so far, is there anything that you would enhance? Because there are other people looking to you, whether you know it or not, mm. to see how this all plays out. They they honor their word. They've honored their word because this is my 17-year-old son who has left home. Um, everything that they said, they are a family. Um, they're an organization, but they are a family, and they actually take care of our kids. Every need, our doctor's appointments, dental appointments, everything, and they treat them professionally, but they take care of them as well. If he's going pro, that means that for lack of a better word, the grooming that sometimes cats might get in college to avoid agents and all that kind of stuff, they can come right at them. Um, and, and I would figure as a parent, that would be a little bit scary just to see. So do, do they give you advice on how to deal with that? Um, kind of stuff? They have they have investments and all, and they have financial advisors. Um, 
a portion of a large portion of their money is um, put away in an account that they cannot touch because of their age. So they give them they're they're teaching them how to be men. They're not wow. just playing basketball. In European soccer, it's quite common for kids to go pro at around fourteen or seventeen years old. They pull them out of high school, but they put them in tutoring, um, tutoring academies that are normally based in the practice wings of the of the different teams. But they also do the things that, for the first time I've ever heard anybody in America doing, um, is in the case of the OTA here. They they give them financial planning. They give them um, social media training. They teach them how to deal with things as a professional. Um, which you know, like there's litmus tons of stories in American basketball where. I wish, you know, some of these guys would have had some some courses or something along the way to help guide them. Because being a professional basketball player is still a job. And a lot of times, you know, people get caught up in the highlights and they miss it. It's still a I job. I actually tried to back out of the contract once I signed it um, because I was listening to outside influences who didn't understand what was going on. And my son said to me, he said, Mom, I'm 17. This is what I've loved doing, and this is what I've always loved doing. This is what I aspire to do. He said, once I get finished with this program, I will have made X amount of dollars. He said, if I do not make it into the NBA or decide not to go overseas, he said, I can take the money that they offer for me to go to college. When I graduate from college, I'll be 23 years old. I'll still be young, and I can pursue the career for the major that I decide to major in. And that was the thing that said, okay, go for it. Thank you, Down South Georgia girl. Every OTE player will earn a six-figure salary with a guaranteed minimum salary of at least 100000 per year, plus bonuses and shares of equity in overtime. In addition, players will participate in revenue from use of their name, image, and likeness through sales of custom jerseys, trading cards, video games, and NFT. It's all very exciting. It it seems surreal. That's awesome. No further questions. This is from what it seems to be one of the safest and easiest dice rolls on setting, using your gifts to set a future for yourself as quickly as possible. As the great Omar Little said in The Wire, even if I miss, I can't miss. Right. You know, it I, I it seems like he's got a good village around him. Keep them skeezers away from him and check his DMs from time to time, mama. Make sure that boy got make sure he got a box of con a whole thing of condoms. <laughs> right. Two suitcases full. Respectfully. Hey, hey, Kimberly, one more question. On my on your way out the door here, I got one question. We talk about the sacrifice that parents make. Tell us real quick, whole interview, where have you been? Where are you at right now? Oh, I'm driving to Atlanta to see him play this weekend. That's what I'm talking about. That's that sacrifice. You did the whole interview. You heard? That sacrifice right there. I'm going to be a parent like Kimberly. That's all I want. That's it. I hope that you're able, as he gets older and gets out of your hair a little more, I hope that you're able to use that time to pursue all of the things that you set to the side to make sure that his career was straight. God bless you. Thank you. And I mean that. Thank you. And thank you all for having me. Bye-bye. A hundred thousand and you get a piece of your likeness. And you know, they're going to throw them in a video game sooner or later. Oh, this absolutely. is the future. Well, the fact I'm that not... they get the money so that if they don't go to the league or something were to happen to them or whatever, 
the fact that they get that hundred grand to at least go to school if something doesn't work out, that is amazing to me. That's just that's a nice that's a nice deal. I was just gonna say she's an assistant principal. So this wasn't something that she didn't completely think through. That educational aspect was a baseline for her. We were talking a little bit before we all joined each other, but that is a baseline for her. It's extremely important for her and for him. So this wasn't just some willy-nilly decision is the best way I can put it. After the break, we'll wrap up this basketball episode with an esteemed, wonderful, wonderful ESPN journalist uh, and writer, Scoop Jackson. Jackson. Uh, and of course, the homie Narado, a.k.a. Ra- yeah, Jackson, not Jackson, Jackson. You know how them, them pastors with the juicy mouth? Jackson. <laughs> it's a job there. We'll be right back. Job fair, we back in this thing. Basketball week. We're exploring the world of different ways you can make a little money in basketball and shit like that. You know, I would have played, but I was run off the court by older gang members who had scores to settle. (laughs) So uh, the aggressiveness of the sport turned me off. (laughs) We turn our attentions now part of the program where we bring our black people, white people-ologists on to help you all be able to break the ice with co-workers of a different race by presenting stories and topics and little things you can chit-chat about. He comes to us from parts unknown in Middle Tennessee, but if you ever want to see him in 3D, just swing by the Bode Hotel and, <laughs> and he will appear. His mama named him Narado. We call him Rod for short. Rod. Well, we fucking hoops. Um, I, I want to say that I, I, earlier you said that you would run off the basketball court by gang members with a score to settle. And, you know, that happens, you know? Yeah, gangster Disciples. Shout out to IGD. Yeah, you from, you from the West, West Side. Side. So, yeah. So, yeah, it, it happens. I, I myself had to do the same thing in, in college. Uh Went four four brothers and, and interrupted a basketball game at the gym because the nigga was out there who owed me money and I didn't have time to wait. He'd been giving me the run around for about three weeks. Walked into the gym with a blanket mile in my mouth, walked right on to the court and grabbed the ball and was like, hey, I need to talk to this nigga. Somebody better call me time out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I believe every minute of this. Every minute of this, I believe. I'm not even gonna lie. I totally believe it. Yeah, it happens, man. How much it. money, Rod? It was $20. <laughs> it was $20. And it wasn't the money. No, Rob, it was the Rob principle. Uh, it's the principality. It was the principle. It wasn't the money. You were wearing lugs, too. It you were wearing lugs, didn't you, Rob? <laughs> you weren't even wearing basketball shoes. You had on lugs growing up on the court with yeah, a black I was wearing a pair of See, that's, that's See? why I don't like pickup games it's too much testosterone it's too many men trying to prove they men to people that don't matter i ain't got time for this shit i'm going to the back <laughs> that's why i love baseball let's kick it off Rod. which way you want to uh we're gonna start with white people white people what you want to be talking about in basketball news right now to your, to your black people is a former NBA superstar and grifter, Derek Williams, 
will be making his professional boxing debut by fighting on the undercard of the Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury fight against former NFL star what is happening? Frank Gore Sr. It's a very weird-ass story. <laughs> running back, wait a minute, run, running back? Yeah, from the U, Frank Gore. Run, wait, so running a running back versus a shooting versus guard? Versus a point a point guard, that's right. Darren Williams was a point guard. Frank Gore is going to beat the dog Now, here's shit. the thing. It may sound like Frank Gore is going to beat the shit out of Darren Williams, but apparently Darren Williams has spent the last 10 years uh, training in MMA and as part owner of the MM, a very popular MMA gym in Dallas, Texas. And apparently he was also training for his MMA debut before the pandemic hit. So he might have a motherfucking chance. But Frank mm. Gore, we, we all know Frank Gore is an old school gangster. And he's been boxing <laughs> since 2005, apparently, as part of his training. So it's a weird sounding story. It might be a good damn fight. Boxing is a tough one for me to watch because you know if they do it well enough, long enough, the inevitability, it's not. There ain't a lot of sexy retired boxers. You get what? Sugar Ray Leonard and George Foreman. Yeah, that's Tyson, I guess. But Tyson, last I checked a couple weeks ago, he was talking about smoking toad toad poison and going to the moon on the ayahuasca. Hey, and shit. Well, I mean, that ain't no you crazier than how he was in 1980. Tyson wanna smoke some toad poison, I promise you it is the most organic, sustainable toad poison available. I know we got Scoop Jackson waiting, so let's go ahead and flip it up real quick, Rod. What can uh, black people bring up to their white friends about basketball? Black people, the biggest news in white basketball right now is uh, Coach K is retiring at the the end of this season. Duke's famous Mike Krzyzewski, and uh, he has a grandson on the team who apparently doesn't want to make it any easier for grandpops to walk away from the game. Uh, Mike Savarino, grandson of Coach K, uh, 20 years old, was just recently arrested for the DWI with Duke's star freshman, Paolo Banchero. Uh, And apparently Coach K's grandson was the one driving and he's only 20 years old. And the, the kicker is that they arrested Paolo also for aiding and abetting DWI, which is something I never heard of. But apparently, That's if you can, they say that if you knowingly give your keys to somebody you know is under the influence, then you're aiding and abetting the DWI. So I guess they're gonna have to prove that to keep him in trouble. But right now, the big focus is on Coach X's grandson. Mm. Does he? Does Coach K's grandson play? Yeah, too, he's also he just, on the team. Oh yeah, no, he's on the squad. He's on the squad. Okay, so you and got two kid, drunk freshmen. Yeah, and the kid that they, uh, the other kid is a beast. He's yeah, a that monster. Dude's a like real talk. Yeah, he's a beast. He's a beast. The podcast is Uncle Rod Story Corner. You can get it wherever you get podcasts. Rod, we wish you a happy December Christmas. Oh, let me tell you some shit real quick about JG. She loved Let me tell you what she said earlier. Jacqueline said she loves the spirit of the season. She loves the food, the smell, the, the pine, the, 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 the pine needles, the Christmas tree. She All loves bacon, but she doesn't buy gifts. Oh, yeah. She, she doesn't, doesn't even make them. She doesn't buy gifts. 
I'm not making them. I'm not buying. Yeah, she's of. she's very selfish, but she loves, but she, but she loves right. receiving them though, don't she? <laughs> you, I'm you not gonna turn gifts, them down. That's what I yeah, I love it. Yeah, wow. Not, not even surprised. Rod, <laughs> Rod, as always, thank you so much for coming on the program. Thank brother. you, Rod. We appreciate you, man. We'll talk next. Yeah, week, bless man. up. Yes, sir. Bye. Scam of the week time. JG, who is on the line? We currently have Robert Scoop Jackson, and he holds the position as senior features writer and executive producer for ESPN Features Unit and Sports Center, and is a contributor to many of their television programs, radio shows, digital platforms, including The Undefeated, also mm. magazines and films. And it's important to note he spent 12 years as a national columnist for ESPN.com. He also holds the position as yes. chief content and copyright chief. for Nike. Wait a minute. Right? Tell it all, though. Yes. Wait a minute. There's one more thing. There's one more thing. One more thing you're missing. Hold up. Hold up, Roy. You know there's one more thing you're missing. I'll let Scoop do it. Watch this. H-U. <laughs> what you say, Scoop? <laughs> Tell him. Tell him. Where'd you go, Scoop? Which one? Did you, oh. did you or did you not extend uh, a small? Which one? Said, oh, there's only <laughs> when one. When you got two, you know, when you double up on your black HBCUs, you know, you can't, you, which one? You, please give rise to both, sir. Please give rise man, to I both. I know we got a fam you dude in here too. So, you know, you got to respect yeah. everything. Yeah. So, nope. Yeah. Got, got the undergrad from Xavier University in New Orleans and got the grad piece from Howard University in D.C. Love yes, it. sir. They don't get much black right, in school. Right, 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 right. A curiosity, because I don't know, what does Scoop stand for? Um, I say it's either ice cream or dog shit, whichever way you want to go. Oh <laughs> but, <laughs> now, in real talk, it was given to me at birth because I was born literally the day after JFK was assassinated. Mm. And my uncle, my mother's brother, made a joke to my father who was a newspaper reporter in Chicago at the time. He said, nigga, you having a son going scoop Kennedy getting killed. Wow. So they gave me that name, birth certificate in hand wow. at first. So I've been, I've been ice cream and dog shit my whole life. So. <laughs> what are some of the pitfalls that young basketball players make at any level, be it AAU or semi-pro overseas, college, whatever, what are some of the pitfalls that keep them from crossing over into the NBA? Well, the first is not developing a work ethic that it takes to sustain a career inside the NBA. Uh, the NBA, like a lot of other professions, is, is based on like a, a, a pyramid where it gets smaller and smaller the higher you go. But the people that top of that, they are literally the best of the best in the world they have no idea what it is like and what it takes to get to the top of the top. We're, we're living in a generation where we have somewhat stunted young athletes by continually showing them the end results and not showing them the work that it takes to get there and sustain that. So when they are the, you know, when, when they're all like an ESPN list of the top 30 high school basketball players, or they are, in college and they see themselves like in Yahoo's mock draft and maybe getting in the first round. They think 
that is automatic and they're good and where their skills are at right now are going to be good enough to get them to the next stage. And they might, but getting to the next stage and staying there are two different things because if you are 17 and 18 years old and you don't have a work ethic that is going to match what these cats in the NBA are doing, it's too late. I've been reading you, following you for a very long time. Were you at XXL or were you at Slam? And when you were at Slam, you really had a unique look at the at the underage basketball market, for lack of a better word. Like, it was one thing to look at the college game, but that high school game, when I was coming up, we're talking like around 94, yeah. that high school game had a lot of money in it. But now, apparently, it's not the high school game anymore. It's the eighth grade? Yeah, I mean, but, but really, it has to be because the, the way it goes right now, everybody's seeking to find and get their hands on what's next. And if you got first dibs on what's next, then you have an advantage over everybody else. All right, who's next for LeBron? And we're not going to wait for that person to be a sophomore or freshman. We're going to try to get dabs and dibs on that cat early. And now you look at the colleges. But so you look at it like, look, if we, can, if we can introduce this kid to our college program, we may be able to grab that kid. And one thing when we're dealing, especially with us as black folks, we have a sense of loyalty that most other races across the world don't have. Mm. We stay true to where we come from more than anybody. And if we Agreed. don't, we deem the sellout. But I don't care where you're from. Mm. Hey, man, no, these people had me when nobody else had me. That same mm. thought process attaches itself to what we're talking about right now. So when you are an eighth grader and the you know, University of Missouri you know, A, starts whatever, sending you gifts, assistant coach comes there, they show up at your games, whatever they can do inside the NCAA laws to let them know that they got their eye on you. When it comes time for you to choose a school, that loyalty kicks in like, hey, Missouri was here watching me before anybody else was. I'm going, you know, they've been down with me since day one mm. before all of y'all knew. They were down with me. And if you can get that foot in to that player, it's all good. So that's the yes. reason that happened. That's deep, man. That's deep. I don't like that. That's that is I get it, but it's look, 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 let's let's not just use it as sports. All types of companies and agencies in various professions do the exact same thing. You don't think Hollywood right. is trying to look to see who's the next young, you know, person who's going who's going right. to run Disney? <laughs> Disney has a whole network right. about finding kids under the age of 10 who's going to be next. You don't think in Silicon Valley mm. that anyone from Google, you know, up to, to whoever, name them, Apple, Microsoft, and you don't think they're tapping into mm. high school kids? You don't think they're tapping into STEM programs to find out who the young brains are? You don't think the Bur you don't think Berkeley School of Music in Boston is trying to travel around the country to find out who that next cellist is? Who you know who that next reader or writer of music is? You don't think ad agencies across the world are looking at young talent in some of these high schools that have gifts in writing that can do something? It's happening all over. So let's not just, you know, peg sports as the shady ones that are doing this. It happens all <laughs> over. Okay, I have two things. One is more streamlined and straight with regards to what you're talking about about grooming the next generation of cello players, the next generation of basketball, football player, athletes, 
whatever you excel in, you are a male writer of a certain caliber. Who are you grooming or who are you reading that you're most interested in and seeing them do something great as well? I'm not one of those brothers that functions from um, a boxed-in situation. I I I really literally function with an open door policy and have for 30 years. So there's always somebody, somebody's that I have always been there and continue to be there and grooming and mentoring and what I did. And you know, really, I so I, I don't sit on anybody's board of directors. I'm not a member of anybody's this, that, and the other. I don't, I'm I'm not a member of the NABJ. I don't function like that. I function really every day on the streets. And when I see you on the streets, if I see you at your high school, if I see you at the game, I see you at the grocery store, if I see you at the club, see you at the bar, if I see you, it doesn't make a difference. I would, I would, I would, I would actually say, JG, just to kind of back them up real quick, I have the honor of saying that I've known Scoop for a long time. And uh, anytime I've ever needed help professionally, even when I was going through stuff with Bleep, um, you know, he was, he was somebody that I turned to <laughs> and, uh, and spoke with, um, and he always give me real ass advice. And I'm one I one of those brothers it. that you could get my phone number out and you don't have to call me ahead of time and say you gave it to somebody else. I'm not that dude. I understand okay. how we roll as a people and I understand the, um, the, the responsibility I have as a brother who has, mm. you know, worked consistently, uh, and pretty hard to, uh, you know, be be in a position that I'm in, and I understand that the same work ethic that we were talking about these players need to have coming in is the same work ethic that I have, and that's the one thing that should not be held back from anybody of color in this country, especially in this game of media, especially in this okay. game, which is probably in my mind still remains the most racist industry we have in this country and that's including politics and police departments <laughs> two things for me one I, I hate that we didn't have enough time to really get into journalistically a lot of the ins and outs of your journey through all of these different sports but take us back to your time were you ever a beat writer for any team at any i level? have never had to go through that journey and that's something that is still problematic for other individuals, especially where I'm at right now at ESPN. My background is so unique to everybody else, a lot of other people in the business, but especially to the, at the place I'm at at ESPN. I'm like that playground legend who was lucky enough to make it to the league. That's really what it boils down to. Oh, uh, Ray for all. Right, right, right. I'm skipping my loop, right? I'm, 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 I'm kind of like the skipping <laughs> my loop. Now, it was a situation I ran into with... Um, another uh, a legendary writer that, that happens to be at ESPN. Um, and one time we would, it was during the Bulls, the, the, the second three-peat um, in the press room. And everybody that's there during the finals, they all like leave and they're rushed and they're all in the press room. Like they're trying to get their stories out. And they had, you know, they're on the deadlines so they're trying to get, making sure their stories match the inches or they're getting their work out of all day. And you know, their deadlines either one or midnight or whatever. They're all in crunch mode. I'm sitting in the press room just chilling. I'm watching because uh -oh. at the time, I'm writing for Slam Magazine. I'm an editor of Slam Magazine. Our deadline is it's, it's, it's a monthly magazine. You know, we come out every six weeks. 
my deadlines are lacked. And this writer said to me, basically, in kind of a really shady way, that, man, you know what, that's, you know, you're lucky. And he said it in a way that, you know, I almost don't respect you for standing there and not having to do what everybody else is doing and saying that I'm lucky that I have to be forced to write the deadlines that they're on. And my response to him was this. I said, you know what, man, you can write your column or your story and file it. And tomorrow, you know, people can't read it. You can write a crap story. And that newspaper you write for, nothing's going to happen. It's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And you could cover up for some bullshit that you wrote today in two days. You could cover that for the next, you know, you can follow up the next day, whatever. That's fine. I have an entire magazine to hold down. If I fuck up, the entire magazine goes down. That's it. And yeah, my deadlines are every six weeks, but for every 750 words that you're writing four times a week, I'm writing 35 to 4,000 words four times because I got four stories in every issue that we do. So respect my gangster. For 11 years, I worked at Slam Magazine, and basically, I, it was on me to make sure that magazine functioned. Same thing with Double XL. It was on me to make sure these things functioned. So just because the lane is a little different, don't disrespect it. So I've had to have that fight my entire career, fighting up against that. I can tell JG, he still want to slap the shit out of whoever. No, 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 because, because he, he was like, you know what? I never looked at it that way. And it came immediately. He's like, damn, you're right. I never looked at it that way. Damn, that's good. That's love. All right, we'll get you out of here. I'm going to take time. I'm good. This, this, this whole segment is called Scam of the Week. And, you know. I know at some point in your pre-journalistic endeavors, you uh, worked somewhere. And I ain't saying that you stole or that you was running this hustle. But if you ever seen a hustle ran, we would love for you to share one with us that hopefully the legal statute of limitations has passed on. Please don't confess to anything. No problem. Uh, look, <laughs> I'm going to tell you two real quick. The first, both of them came to ESPN too. I give them the credit because they, they, they ain't the game of hustle. So it's all good. Mm. They told me one time that they wanted me to do a story on the New York Nets because they were doing this issue for ESPN the magazine called basically a what if issue. Like the crazy thing, what if the, what if, we're doing an issue on the craziest thing in sports that can happen, what if they happen? And they wanted me to do what if the New Jersey Nets win the championship? I was like, okay, that's fine. I could do that because at the time, I, th- I forgot, probably 1995, 1996, I think. It wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. So that's Van Horn. Van Horn, Sam mm-hmm. Cassell, Kittles. Kendall Gill. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Kenya was, okay. I forgot who else on that squad. Anyway, you have to understand, it was a reach. But that was the whole concept of the issue is to take extreme things and write a what if about them. Come to find out there never was an issue based on that. It wasn't a theme issue. They just did a story on the Nets and then ran my piece as a sidebar with me oh, saying, no. I'm thinking the Nets oh. are going to win the championship. Oh, Here's what makes it worse. And so now you sound but here's crazy. Right. Here's what makes it worse. This is when Stephen A had his show, quite frankly. 
Stephen oh, A was like, what the hell? Oh no, you gotta come on the show and talk about that. I'm like, wow. so I, and he had me on the show, man. I have never done that much stuttering. <laughs> I mean, luckily this is pre-social media, so you didn't get saute souffle right, all right, over the internet. Right. Now you talk about, yeah, now, now you talk about some gangster stuff, like really, that was one. The other one, and I'm probably gonna get in trouble for this, but when I first came over there, they, the first assignment they gave me was LeBron James. They're like, all right, Scoop, we need you to go, um, you know, do a story on LeBron James. Uh, Still high school or he's in Cleveland? He's in Cleveland at this time. And I had a very okay. good relationship with LeBron at the time. We was we were Slam Magazine and, you know, he was part of our whole whatever. So, yeah, y'all covered right, right? him he was, for he was family. Right? We had those issues. And they knew I had a really, really good relationship with him. And they knew I worked on his first Nike campaign. They knew I was in with him, Rich, Randy, Maverick. You know, I was, you know, I was, I was, I was you know, a ball-headed step. So they had okay. me in the family and ESPN knew that. So my the minute I got to ESPN, that's the first assignment they gave me. Hey, we want you to do a story on LeBron James for the magazine. I'm like, all right, cool. So I get to Cleveland, man, and I roll up with LeBron. Say, hey, what's going on, fam? You know, uh, I, I, you know, left slam, I'm over ESPN and, you know, they want me to do a story. I mean, he's like, you know, I don't mess with ESPN. I'm like, what do you mean you don't mess with ESPN? He said, you don't know? I said, no, nah, I don't know. I don't know. So he tells me the story. He goes there to tell me how for years, one, they they had a writer secretly in Cleveland's locker room for an entire year writing a book about him that he did not know about. Nor did the Cleveland Cavaliers until he got they they like, why is this dude here every game? And it was all it was a whole season and he had been there. And he wasn't a beat writer for like the plain dealer nah, or any nah, other. Nah, he was just there. Mind and then they finally blown. found out that he was secretly there through ESPN to write a book on him. Once that got discovered and he got tossed, LeBron stopped doing interviews with ESPN. So ESPN got mad. And mm-hmm. apparently, according to, to him, said something foul about his mother. <laughs> oh, no, nah, you can't do that. Right. Bro. Not a black so, man's mother. That's, that's, that's when he was like, I'm done. Like, I'm done, done. I was upset because I'm like, look, now I'm supposed to be working with ESPN now. The least you could have done was told me what I was walking into. It's like, hey, mm, this situation with LeBron, will you bring me, you know, we're bringing you in, we're trying to massage this situation. Can you massage? They didn't say anything to me and had, you know, and had me walking in LeBron, like, I hate to say it, ass out. Uh-huh. And, yeah. and burning a bridge with someone that you had reported right. Right. because he thinking you know the beef and now you coming in here trying to be the nigga whisperer hey man master told me to come check on you so and see what's going man, on look that's the one job you never you, ne- you never really see advertised for but that's the realest job in journalism is being a nigga whisperer that's just the realest job out there they will send you to talk to somebody black just because you black and you talk a little <laughs> bit of slang like you ain't gotta talk a whole <laughs> lot of slang. You just need to talk enough to confuse your white right. editors, and they will send you. I ended up covering the and one team because they were too scared to go into Barry Fall. Right. So wait a minute, Scoop. What happened? Because oh, nothing happened. I didn't do it. Happened. That was it. I'm, that was just done. Yeah, but what did you go back to the office and say? Hey, how did that play out? It did. It was nothing to play out. I'm not doing it. Y'all should. LeBron's not talking. 
And y'all should have told me okay. what I was walking into. And it's real. It's really simple. Okay. You know, it's just out of respect. <laughs> but it wasn't that much respect because they wound up doing it. They tried to do it to me again. <laughs> but, but, here, but, here, but here's the beauty in this. And this is something because this is a job fair. And there, yeah. there, there are yeah. people that will get something like this. After the second time it happened, and the second time happened after the next thing, I went to the president of the company and told him, I said, look, here's the deal, here's the deal. I'm never writing for the magazine ever, period. And once I explained it to him, mm. broke it down to him, he said, you know what? I get it 100%. Now, in my contract with ESPN is I am paid to do a certain amount of feature stories for the magazine. Mm-hmm. He's like, don't worry about it. Wave it. You don't ever have to write for the magazine again. He, he even admitted that was wrong. Mm-hmm. Low key, what you're talking about is some mental health shit because that'll mm-hmm. drive you fucking crazy. You do three of them bullshit stories and then good news, Skip. We, we, we love what you did. What's your name? Skip, Scoop, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> nigger, I want you to write a story about why the Jacksonville Jaguars will win the next eight Super Bowls. Go do that. How do people who don't have the depth of resume like you, what can they lean on if they're dealing with that same type of microaggression type nonsense in their job? Build yourself a great foundation of self-worth before you get to the top of the food chain and what you're talking about. It goes down to not necessarily being seasoned, but understanding that as a young person, always try to function from a position of strength. Not fake strength, real strength. And that strength has to come in your value and value and not the lies you tell to yourself about what you're going to become, but the values of what you've done there's always other outlets, but it's on you to have that self-worth, you to build up a value system within yourself so that when it does take a position of going left, that you're not the one whose integrity doesn't walk out the door when they do. Bars. Fucking bars. I mean, it was the editor at XXL, so it's bars. Let's dude. raise Fucking the bars. offering. God damn it. One last question. You made mention of this, and this is me going backwards, that there's so many kids and students today that they have no work ethic. And I think it aligns with something that Roy also talked about. There's no one there to teach them those things. So any suggestions on where they can go to glean, glean. And I use ESPN as a classic example of this. And I'll give ESPN credit for this a little bit. But any, no, seriously. Any black individual that you see, mm-hmm. or any person of color, I even stretch it, that you see working at ESPN, go back and look to see their track record before they got there. Okay. That's it. Yo. You're not going to see somebody come to ESPN and get to that top of that food chain without years and years and years of work mm. to get there. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, so I don't have to show them any work ethic. You go back and look at Mike Wilbon. You go back and look at Jamel Hill before she left. You go back and look at Maria Taylor. You go back and look at L. Duncan. You go back and look at Bomani Jones. You go back and look at, you know, Mike Wilbon. You know, I can go down the line at every person of color there. Look at that background before. 
before they got to ESPN. And that's your work ethic right there. And it can't be like a fake, like, I think like, you have to have something there to let you know that I'm able to do this. All right. We got to yep. let you go, Scoop, because it's too much church. <laughs> we already did. <laughs> we did two church episodes last month. We can't have no more church episodes up in here, man. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too, Jay. I feel sorry for you putting up with these two, but, you know, you, yo. Dude, whole separate conversation. <laughs> <laughs> if I could send you the text message chains. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you're supposed to be deleting those, oh. first of all. Scoop, I kept them. <laughs> All right, Linda Tripp. I see you, Linda Tripp. I see you. <laughs> <laughs> you so wrong with that. You so wrong with that. Just Google the That's name Scoop right. Jackson and go down a wonderful, wonderful rabbit hole of observations and analysis of the mundane all the way up to the profound. Brother, thank you so much for coming on the job. Thank you all. Appreciate you. That's the show, man. We had a good time. We talked basketball. We explored the careers. We did what we came to do. We don't always get to do that on the show, but I feel like we knocked it out. Thank you so much to Candace Parker. Thank you so much um, to Mama Kimberly and her son, Jalen. We wish them nothing but the best. As well as the good people at Overtime Basketball. Yes, yes. Big shout out to Overtime. Is that coming to no, but we That's might want to look into it. Jacqueline, stop there. We need to discuss mm. this. Mm. We need to discuss this because they about to be on the rise, especially if they're already thinking about selling NFTs. That's a very, very uh-huh. forward-thinking operation over there. Royce Jaffair is a product of iHeartRadio, Comedy Central, and South Park and Princeton Productions. Um, There's a strong possibility my building's on fire, so I'm going to just have to wrap this up. Do you smell smoke? I smell smoke big time. I haven't heard an alarm yet, though. All right. Well, we're going to let you go, JG. I'm not interested in um, you being rescued by the fire department live on this feed. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I can't even get to you. You, You're kind of short. Wait a minute. The fire department? They're tall. Oh, keep going. Well, go on and call them then. <laughs> Let me find out. Jacqueline's going to be swiping left and right on the on, on the fire department. Bro. No, seriously, I do think my building's on fire, so I got to go. This has been a special preview of Roy's Job Fair. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 